Good morning. How are you guys doing? I'm so glad to be here. Um, I was here about a year ago. And um, I just want to let you know how dearly my family loves Zach and Kristen and their girls. Um, you guys are richly blessed. I think you hopefully already know that. But um, in Zach, Zach is a strategic thinker and an awesome pastor. And you don't usually find those two qualities in a pastor. Usually they're one or the other. And Zach has been gifted with both of those. And so strategically, you guys are blessed. And with the pastor end, you guys are blessed. Zach is an amazing leader. And I am honored to be here today, especially on Mother's Day. Um, I um, know that this day um, for some is so exciting because you get to kiss and smooch all over your babies today and they hopefully get to kiss and smooch all over you, hopefully. Um, but also I know that this day is not always um, a fun day for many women and for uh, many ladies in this room. Um, I did not become a mom until I was 37. Um, I've been only a mom for about six years. And so I do know that the day that this day can also hold pain for some moms. But I will tell you this, no matter if you have the title of mom or not, um, every woman has been given the gift of nurture. And I am so grateful for the group of women that gather around my kids. Whether they have the title of mom or not, um, I am grateful for how they pour in and invest um, into my kids. So if today is a hard day for you, I know what your heart's saying right now. I know what your heart's beating about right now. Um, so today, we are going to focus a little bit. Um, dads, don't tune out because, man, I think there's some things to be gained here um, from the scripture that we're going go to go through. But I do believe uh, that today we're going to have such a lovely, fluff-filled um, Mother's Day message, and we're going to focus on anxiety. Bless us all. That's what we're going to focus on. We're going to talk about the anxiety of moms. Um, but I do believe that dads also deal with anxiety, so maybe you can glean a little bit uh, from this as well. Um, I, um, like I said, when I first became a mom, when I was um, uh, 37, I didn't understand um, about the anxiety that moms experienced. I did not know about this. And I started uh, feeling like it was this horrible weight on me. And I remember one day I was talking to one of my dear friends that I work with about the, the weight that I was feeling. And she was like, oh, honey, that's mom guilt. Every mom gets it. And I was like, mom guilt? What in the world is that? She said, every woman experiences mom guilt when we don't feel like we're adding up. And it feels like a weight on us. And so today, uh, that's what we're going to talk about. I've been in ministry for about 20 years, and the moms that I come in contact with, that's the weight that they carry on them is anxiety, that they're not adding up as a mom, that they're not doing things always the best that they can do, or they're trying their hardest, but things aren't happening like they wish they could. So today we're going to talk about anxiety and the things that come along with that. In Proverbs 12:25, it says, anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. Anxiety puts a weight on our heart. It puts a weight on us and it weighs us down. Here's some examples of that. Um, when I first started living in the land of mom guilt, um, my children came home. Uh, my kids, three kids are adopted from Ethiopia. They're right down here. And they came home when they were three and six and 14. And um, when they first came home, um, I, for some reason, did not realize that my three-year-old needed a car seat. I, I, I don't know why I did not realize that. I thought a booster seat was fine. And I remember walking out to the car, 
and we got our girls in their car seats because my six-year-old could clearly put be put in a car seat, but my three-year-old put her in the car seat, and my best friend was there, and she drove down from Raleigh to be with us at the airport when they came home, and so we're walking out, and I put Debra and Ruth in their car seats, and Jessica looks at me, and she said, girl, you got to have a car seat, and I was like, what? I said, that is a car seat. She was like, no, that's a booster seat. Your kid is entirely too small for a booster seat. She's got to be in a car seat. All of a sudden, I was like, oh, my word, I've already failed the first test. Like, I was, like, totally feeling like this is awful. I, I don't know what I've done. This is terrible. I don't even know that I was supposed to have a car seat. So we went and got a car seat, and I was putting her in it. And it was, of course, like the five-part harness. Bless. Yeah. So I from right off the bat, I was completely overwhelmed with that. Then I started freaking out about schooling. Like, are we putting them in the right schooling? Is this what we're supposed to do? Well, then I started noticing all these people putting their kids in activities. So I was like, are my kids in enough activities? Like, if I put them in enough? Or then I thought, wait a minute, I put them in too many. Aren't we supposed to be having family dinner every single night together? And here, maybe we put them in too many activities. And then I know that the mom's in this room. I know you probably aren't like this, but every now and then I lose my temper. Can I tell you? And like when I start getting a little angry, my voice even gets hoarse because I feel like I'm screaming so much. Do you know what I mean? Maybe y'all aren't like that. And so then I started thinking, am I yelling too much and I'm not listening enough? I was weighted down, like that proverb said. I was weighted down. My heart was living in anxiety world because I felt like I was failing them at every single turn. Let me tell you what the Greek word of that anxiety means, of that verse where it says anxiety um, in a person's heart weighs them down. This is um, in the Greek, anxiety is merimna. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. So there's anxiety right there. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. So merimna, if that's how you say it, it's care that brings disruption, disruption to the personality and the mind. So basically, anxiety disrupts our personality and disrupts our mind. So basically, anxiety gives us a personality disorder, okay? That's what it means in the Greek. Our personality is not even what it normally is. Anxiety weighs us down, and it's not just a word. It's, it's the weight of emotion that we experience. Our world has changed rapidly in the last 10 years. Um, we didn't have all of this social media. We didn't have the use of iPhones. iPhones have only been around for 10 years, which is crazy. But we did not have all of this interaction as much with each other through technology. And so now, with that, we have the ability to actually know almost minute by minute or moment by moment, what somebody is up to. Like if they're that active on social media, you can know that. Or even through texting, where are you? Where are you? Like, I mean, you know literally where someone is all the time through either social media or their phones. Yet, envy, guilt, and jealousy in the American public are at an all-time high even though all of those things have been introduced to us to help us connect better to one another, our envy and our guilt and our jealousy are at an all-time high. For instance, let's think through this. Look how that family celebrates holidays. I clearly need to add some memory makers into my holiday moments. I mean, let's just admit this. Christmas has gotten a little out of control, okay? But every single holiday, we've got to add something. I have some friends that live, they're stationed in Japan, so they already had Mother's Day, because it's, all of that messes me up, but it's like a, it's already tomorrow over there. So they already had Mother's Day. So this morning, I saw all that they did for Mother's Day, and I'm like, oh man, I didn't plan all that. I mean, that already went into my head. I didn't think of doing all that they did. They did a ton of stuff. 
So you already see those families, how they celebrate holidays, they do it a whole bunch better than I do. Or look how that family vacations. Man, we don't, we don't vacation like that. Maybe we should vacation like that. Like, should we put towards that much money and do vacations? Because clearly their kids look so happy. So I need to make my kids that happy and I need to vacation like that. Or this is, this is another one. Look how that family is able to sit around the table, have a perfectly quiet meal, and they're able to have these devotions of family devotions and like seeing kumbaya and no one's getting up running around the table. No one's losing their mind. Everybody is happy. What is wrong with me? Why can't I do that? Because clearly they know how to parent better than I do. Yeah, no, that doesn't happen. It's not real life. Or look at all their activities those kids are in. They've got something like every other night of the week, but we can't afford that. So are we messing up because we're not exposing our kids to all of that stuff? And look how that woman works. She's a room mom. She's able to take their kids to everything they need to do. She's able to do everything, and I can't. Well, I made a decision a long time ago. Well, a long time ago, six years ago when I paid mom. I made a decision that all baked goods would be made at Panera and purchased by me. Because I can't. I just can't. I cannot make freshly piped cupcakes. I can't do it. I mean, quite frankly, I don't really even know what the word piping means. I'm just saying that because that's what it says on Pinterest, Pinterest, freshly piped cupcakes. I don't know how to do any of that. And so I was comparing myself to all these moms that could do that. And it was overwhelming me. King Solomon was known as the wisest man alive. And clearly this must have been an issue way back then, not just in modern day, because he had something to say about this looking around at everybody else. In Ecclesiastes 4.4, it says, I saw that all labor and all skillful work is due to one person's jealousy of another. This, too, is futile and a pursuit of the wind. Another version of that says, And I saw that all toil and all achievement springs from one person's envy of another. This, too, is meaningless and chasing after the wind. Solomon explained that jealousy and envy, they're just like chasing after the wind. It is meaningless. It's futile. You can't do anything about it. When we look to our left, we look to our right, we look at everyone else around us, and we try to keep up with them, or we try to compare ourselves to them, we get stuck in this trap. And Solomon says that is meaningless. It is futile to do that. Comparing ourselves to others robs us of peace, and it breeds anxiety. That's what starts the weight in our heart. When we start comparing ourselves to everyone else, we become jealous, and then that turns into anxiety because we can't add up. There's two women in Scripture that um, know a little bit about this. Um, it's Mary and Martha, and we're going to uh, walk through their, um, their passage right here. It's in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. While they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. How many of us ladies can uh, 
understand what Martha was experiencing here. I don't doubt for one second that Martha absolutely adores Jesus. She loves Jesus. She loves him so much that she wants everything to be perfect. She wants a perfect environment for him. So instead of spending time with Jesus, she wanted to make sure her checklist was done. Candles were lit. Napkins were folded. Everything was taken care of. And she was focused on that. Whereas Martha, I mean Mary, Mary was spending time with Jesus. She was enjoying his presence. How many times do we allow the tasks of the day to overtake what's really important in experiencing and spending time with Jesus? We allow the task to overrun what we should be doing. It's not that we don't love Jesus. We adore him. But we know we've got this checklist of things that have got to get done. And that's exactly what happened to Martha. She got so focused on what had to happen that even here, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Basically, he just said, Martha, you've got anxiety for no reason. Chill out. Come spend some time with me. Come spend some time with me. Because I would imagine in that moment, Martha wanted to get her checklist done, but then when she looked at Mary, I would imagine she was a little bit um, envious that she was choosing to spend time with Jesus, a little bit jealous that she couldn't be in there because somebody had to fold the napkins. Don't we do that sometimes, ladies? No, no, don't worry about it. I've got it. You all go about your business. I'll take care of it. That was Mary and Martha. Martha wanted to make sure it was perfection. And sometimes Jesus just says, I don't need perfection. I just need you. I just need you to come spend some time with me. I think Martha's actions betrayed her in that moment. Because sometimes our actions do not always show our true beliefs. She fully believed and loved Jesus. But her actions in that moment, it looked like she cared more about her tasks than she did a relationship. And they betrayed her. her. Her emotions betrayed her in that moment. Because I fully believe she loved Jesus, but her actions said that she cared more about the work than she did the relationship. Anxiety, comparison, and jealousy, they don't allow our true beliefs to shine through. Because we already learned in Proverbs that it alters our mind. It alters our personality. And when it alters our mind and personality, our true actions don't come through. That's what anxiety does. But let me talk to you about another woman who had every right to um, allow her anxiety to consume her. She should have allowed her anxiety to consume her. If I would have been her, I think I would have stayed off in the corner because I would have been that nervous. In Luke chapter 7, verses 36 and on, it says, Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, who no would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. 
You know, I want to pause there for a second because only a Pharisee, I think, would be reclined back like that and look at Jesus and say, say it, teacher. I mean, what? You don't talk to Jesus like that. But apparently he had quite um, the posture of saying, say it, teacher. And so Jesus says a creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly. What I love right there is that Jesus knew he was sitting with a Pharisee and that Pharisees were known for judgment. And he just said, you have judged correctly. I thought, "Ooh, go Jesus. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing me since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's a long passage to explain what I believe is the formula to relieve us of our anxiety. Because that woman had every right to sit in the corner and be ashamed. Everyone in that town seemed to know she was a sinner. The scripture said that. The Pharisees clearly knew she was a scripture. They were not about to offer her any grace in that. I believe her story tells us that freedom from anxiety is knowing and believing the truth about ourselves. This woman could have sat there and hidden from those religious figures. Because why would anyone give her an ounce of grace knowing that she was such a sinner? She could have chosen to live in shame for the rest of her life. But Jesus overwhelmed her anxiety with peace because he offered her forgiveness. And she chose to believe him. He uttered four words to her. You are, your sins have been forgiven. Think about that. He offered her forgiveness. Your sins are forgiven. He told her who she was. Your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees didn't want her to know that she'd been forgiven. They were too stuck on the fact that she was a sinner. But she chose to believe him, and she did not allow what they are going to think of me to control her. Because she could have said, I don't want to even get near Jesus because all of them know. They all know I'm a sinner. But instead, she said, forget it. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to show Jesus how much I love him. So she chose to love him lavishly. She got expensive perfume. She wiped his feet. She was able to wipe his feet with her tears. She had freedom in that moment because the Savior told her she was forgiven. My whole life, I have uh, dealt with my weight. My whole life. I can't really remember one time, even as a child, that I didn't think about my weight. And so about two years ago, 
I decided I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't deal with this anymore. And so I called a friend of mine, a very, very good friend of mine. Um, she is also an adoption friend. They've adopted uh, four girls. And um, she works with me. She's on, on my staff. And so I called her, and I was like, Amani, I can't do this anymore. I'm tired of this weight overtaking me. This is overwhelming. And so uh, she prayed with me, hung up the phone. I was like, okay, that's it. Because um, when you have a habitual sin like, um, like your weight, um, it, and you think about it all the time, that was just like, okay, I prayed about it. We'll be on with it tomorrow because I know it's the first thing I'll think about in the morning. Well, the next morning, her husband called me, and he's a trainer. And I thought, seriously, I just called you to pray. Why in the world did you get to meddling like this? I do not need Clarence all up in my business. I just want to complain about my weight. I don't want anything done about it. Just give me, let me just live in my anxiety, please. So Clarence calls me and he says, Susan, I'm coming to the church and I'm going to come two days a week and I'm putting you on a food plan. Like he was like all serious about this. And I was like, look, last night I was having a moment let me just have my moment, I, whatever. And he's like, nope, I got this under control. So Clarence on Tuesdays and Thursdays would come to the church and um, we would, we had this hallway in the church that we would, it was kind of like this one where like, where there's a lot of offices and stuff. And we would, I would like be doing sprints. What? I don't run like nowhere. Never do I run. And he would have me doing sprints and he was timing me and all this stuff. And I was having to like throw medicine balls. And like, I didn't even know what a medicine ball was when he said, we're going to throw medicine balls. I honestly was like, is there medicine inside that ball? Like I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Then he brought in these kettlebells and he was like, okay, we're going to start swinging kettlebells. And it was awful. Like, I want to say that it was good, but it was, let's just say it was awful, but I lost 70 pounds. Okay. So I lost 70 pounds and it was, it's like, I lost a person. No, do not clap because the story clearly does not have a good ending, but bless me. And so in that I lost 70 pounds and I was like, really, I was the, the whole thing where it says your mind is compromised and, um, all of that, all of that went away. Like I had clarity of thought. I was like in a zone and it was all, I was so excited. I couldn't even stand it. And I mean, I even remember the day that he had me swinging kettlebells and, um, he came in, he had this whiteboard and he would write my workouts, even him writing. I like now, you know, the smell of a dry erase markers. Anytime I smell this now, I just get nauseous thinking about it because I could, that like makes me associate kettlebell swings with the dry erase marker. But he would write up there on the thing, what I had to do. Well, he came in one day and told me I was doing 250 kettlebell swings. And I was like, you've lost every ounce of your mind. I am not doing 250 kettlebell swings. He's like, we're on it. We're going to do it. And he pushed me and pushed me and pushed me. I did 250 kettlebell swings. I finally got to the end of it. I sat on the floor and cried like a baby. I was like, oh my word. Well, then of course I couldn't move my arms for 12 days after that. I mean, it was terrible, but it, it was like, I had such clarity of thought in that. Well, then slowly, um, I started gaining all that weight back. Um, I, st- I started making excuses why I couldn't meet with Clarence. Um, so I stopped meeting with him. I got off my diet plan. Um, and within a year I'd gained all 70 pounds back. And I cannot explain to you the anxiety that was on me about it because I would see other people being successful in losing their weight. And the worst thing you can do to somebody that uh, struggles with their weight and is comparing themselves to other people and doesn't, and really is embarrassed to go out now because, um, I didn't even want to go to church because I didn't want people to see how I was gaining the weight back. But then like my pastor would make me speak and I'd get up there and there I would be up on a big screen. And I'm like, seriously, here I am struggling with my weight. Now you stick me up on a big old screen. And I would just have a complete meltdown about that. 
And so for about a year, my personality and my mind were compromised again because it's all I could think about. I would look at other people, I would compare myself to other people, and I would completely be melting down about this. I was looking to every person around me except God for the answers. And I think anxiety, insecurity, and comparison, they leave us looking around at everybody else except to the one that matters. So I don't know what it is that you deal with, if yours isn't your weight or if it's not food, whatever it is for you, that anxiety that weighs heavy on your heart and it causes you to look at everybody else but the one that matters, that's when you know you're stuck in a rut. That's when you know you're in a situation that definitely needs to change. And ladies, let me talk to you for a second why this matters so much. We are the chief Um, emotion negotiators in our home. Where our temperature is, is usually where the temperature of our kids and our husband are. If we are not in our right mind, it's usually affecting our kids and our husband. And it also is important because we are in charge of showing them and pointing to them who's the most important in their lives. And for a year, I showed my kids to be concerned about everyone else and not the one that matters. I was so consumed by how much weight I was gaining and I was not making a wise choice and I was getting wound up and I was not navigating my children well. Because when we allow anxiety to overtake us and our mind and our personalities have been compromised because of that anxiety, we are not leading our families well. We're not guiding our kids. And that's important. It's important that we are guiding them. Because he wants us to be free from anxiety. He wants us to live in the freedom that he has given us. And that's what I finally had to come to the realization and understanding. Every morning I was waking up overwhelmed with anxiety about my weight. And I was asking forgiveness for something he had already forgiven me for 10 years ago. How often do we ask forgiveness for something that he's already forgiven us for? But every day we're seeking the same forgiveness. And he says, hey, I have forgiven you for that. Go live in the freedom of that forgiveness. But instead, we sit there crippled and not able to even function because we're not living in the freedom of his forgiveness. I did this um, Bible study by Beth Moore, and she has this quote that says, to respect him is to believe him. When Jesus says he has forgiven us of our sins, then we need to live like one forgiven. And that means that we don't sit here and constantly wake up with anxiety. We don't sit there and constantly wake up without a plan. Anxiety is a battle of the mind. So I got back on uh, this diet train. I hate it. I hate even saying it. And I now am only, I'm down 22 pounds. But I will tell you this. I have so far to go. But what I'm realizing is it's not a battle of my weight. It's a battle of my mind. It's for me to wake up every day and say, I belong to Jesus. I am his. He has forgiven me. Now let's go make wise choices and go this day. Because he's given, he has given me on purpose my personality. He has given you on purpose your personality. And the enemy would love nothing more than to compromise that. 
He wants to compromise that so that you live in a world of jealousy. You live in a world of envy. You live in a world of wanting to look around at everybody else instead of the one who matters. That's how the enemy wants us to live. Where God, God says, here's freedom. Go live in it. Go point people to me. So every morning I get up and I have to get my game head on. Not my game face, my game head. Because every battle is in your mind. So I put this, um, this fight song playlist together on my iPhone. And so that every morning I get up and I can just play that. I play it all the way to work. I play it because I have to remember I am forgiven. I'm going to live in that forgiveness. I'm forgiven. I'm going to live in that forgiveness. I'm not going to live in anxiety about my weight. I'm not going to do it. But we have to believe what he says about us. And the way that we believe what he says about us is that we spend time with him. I know that sounds cliche and you hear that wherever you go to church, but there is truth. When we spend time in his word and we spend time in prayer, he tells us who we are in him. We have to know who we are in him because then that's the thing that gets played over and over and over in our head. That's when the anxiety begins to be lifted. Jesus has forgiven us of our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He has done something to give us freedom. It's time for us to live in that freedom. So today, perhaps, you need to just start believing who God says you really are. That might be what needs to happen. You need to believe who God says you are. Or perhaps you need to start looking to the left and stop looking to the right and looking all around and living in jealousy land. And you need to live in the freedom that God has offered you. Perhaps you need to stop asking forgiveness for something that you have asked forgiveness for from 10 years ago and just live in that freedom. He's forgiven me. I'm not going to let that weight of anxiety lay on my heart anymore. I'm going to accept that forgiveness and I'm going to move forward. Because we need to stop believing that we are the same person we were before Christ. Our sins are forgiven. He is absolutely 100% wild about us. He loves us and he wants to use us for his purposes. And one of the ways that he does that is by lifting our anxiety So it is not a burden on us. So we aren't experiencing mom guilt or dad guilt or work guilt or whatever kind of guilt that is that you walk around with. He wants to be able to remove that from us. His plans for us are to prosper us because we have been told to make much of him. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. And I thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you for removing anxiety from us, Father. I thank you for um, your constant influence on our hearts. I pray, Father, that we would be moms and dads and men and women who would seek after you so that we can lead the ones that are watching us to make much of you. So they will not be then weighted down with the burden of anxiety. We thank you, Father, that you always provide a way out and that you lift our burdens and that you lift our anxiety. Jesus, we love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen.